So you want to read Tolkien? We're happy to have you with us. Join us as we work our way through the Silmarillion. I'm Caitlin. I'm Rachel. And I'm Emily. Let's dig into this week's reading. For Middle-earth. If I tried to pronounce every letter in this name, my tongue would fall out of my mouth. I mean, I am on my second giant glass of Prosecco right now. So... Sally Ho! That's what Into the West means. Let's go home. We're unqualified, but we have ideas. All right. So here we are for chapter 10 uh, of the Sindar and chapter 11, which I didn't write the title down of. Of course not. Uh, The Sun and the Moon and the Hiding of Eleanor? Yeah, that sounds good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yes. (laughs) Wonderful. One day I'll do both. Who wants to do what? We're making Caitlin do characters because there are a lot of them. Oh, okay. And we don't know who matters aside from, you know, the people we've met before. And I know Luthien matters because she's in a separate book. That's what I got. I'll go over characters. Oh, yes. I did just, I did want to say, uh, you know, sorry we're late. Uh, thanks for being patient with us. We all had a lot going on. And, um, this just was less stressful for us, so we did this. Mm-hmm. All right, so for chapter 10, we are back in Middle-earth, and we're back with Thingol, who we previously had a chapter about when he met the Maiar Melian. Thingol, at the time, was called Elway, and he was the, the leader of the Teleri, and one of the three elves that was an ambassador to Valinor before all the elves went on their big journey he and then melian another character in this chapter was is a Maiar. they like saw each other in the woods and stared at each other for a really long time and then they were married i don't know if that's like an elf marriage tradition who knows uh why not yeah at the beginning of this chapter they talk about the birth of their daughter luthien who is part elf and part Maiar. and then we also have some dwarves in this chapter none of them are named i don't think but dwarves are back yay and um it's just sort of talking about where all the dwarf kingdoms are a lot of them are very far away um and then it briefly mentions two elves one named aeol and one named meglin who are known as the only elves who went to visit some of these dwarf homes and it was just very strange to me that they were mentioned since meglin hasn't even been born yet good old talking but uh, Meglin and I'll do become important, so I guess I mentioned them. Um, Kierden is around. He's the shipmaster dude who lives down on the beach. Um, the Avari are mentioned. And then the Lenway, who is a lord of the Nandor elves. They were the ones, they were part of the Teleri originally, but like stopped by the river when the elves were on they're just part of the groups that like broke off during the big journey um and went up north i think or maybe sort of east and north and set up there um but during the events of this chapter lenway's son denethor comes back down into beleriand and uh, makes a home in osiriand and then i just wanted to mention also just so that we all understand sort of some geography stuff here um, Menegroth is mentioned, which is this big stronghold that Thingol and Melian create with the help of the dwarves. 
and Manigroth is within the forest of Doriath. And then at the end of the chapter, Melian creates like a like a force field around it called Melian's Girdle. It's described really cool as being like, hang on, I'm not prepared. It's a phrase that comes up twice. And so I wanted to mark it. Oh, a wall of shadow and bewilderment. Mm. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Which is pretty much my, my perpetual state of existence. <laughs> <laughs> and those are the characters. All right. So a lot of things happen in this chapter. Um, but also not a lot of things. It can be summed up very quickly, it turns out. Um, so, yeah. As Caitlin mentioned, Thingol and Melian stared at each other for a long time and then finally wandered off and got shit done. Uh, dwarves show up also. They just kind of wander from over the mountains and have clearly been busy for a long time, too, making stuff. And the two groups kind of meet up and end up with an interchange of information and skills and all that good stuff. Um, it is actually the dwarves who teach these elves um how to make weapons but at least they sort of have a legitimate reason for it unlike the noldor so so much of this was covered in characters <laughs> um yeah sorry i didn't really know where to draw the line there well because it's it is we're a little bit back at so we have a bit more family tree almost stuff here where it's like here are the characters and the stuff they did and that's kind of interchangeable yeah. um but basically, everyone starts to kind of, a lot of people start to gather around Thingol and Melian in Beleriand here. Um, you know, the dwarves come in, Denethor comes with some people. Um, they're all together. And then um, Morgoth has come back. So um, actually, it's mentioned that some of his evil beings were still there, kind of causing some trouble every once in a while. But then Morgoth comes and like spurs them to action and they start actually causing problem for the people who are hanging out here on Middle Earth, which, my gosh, these poor people have just been chilling all alone. <laughs> and, you know, the Valar and um, Feanor are just causing all sorts of, of bad stuff to happen that, that ends up affecting these people. Yeah. Anyway, no fairness in Middle Earth. Um, so basically, there's a whole bunch of big fighting. Thingol gets cut off from... Um, Kyrden. Kyrden, and basically the battles kind of split, and Denethor gets slain by orcs, and it's very sad. But Thingol goes and gets a whole lot of awesome revenge, and um, the battle is won, basically. Uh, there's also a really cool bit where Denethor's elves, like, they're like, they don't take another king again because they liked him so much. They were so sad. And I think it plays Yeah. It plays nicely into our knowledge of Denethor as the steward, but not the king. Um but that's a side note here. Completely different people. Completely different people. Okay. But you're right, right, but just with the namesake. Mm-hmm. Um so anyway, we've had this horrible, awful battle and they're kind of off fighting, and so Melian is like I'm going to make this awesome shield so that no one can get into um, my super cool home of Menegroth. And so she makes that awesome girdle of Melian that is, is it just around, is it around the whole forest? I guess it's sort of 
In the forest. Like, I think in the you forest. can walk a ways into the woods before getting lost and confused. Yeah. But basically, cool wall of shadow and bewilderment um, that none thereafter could pass against her will or the will of King Thingol. Unless one should come with a power greater than that of Melian the Maya. Um, which may or may not be a preview. A little bit of foreshadowing. We'll find out. But anyway... Basically, the summary of this one is some people get together and then battle happens. Yeah. Yeah. In both of these chapters, the battles were sort of off the page. Like they just described them from a very far distance. Did you guys feel that way? Yeah. I feel like most of the battles are like that in this book, if I remember correctly. Which is fine. It's just there's a lot of buildup to one sentence. Yeah. Yeah, it is like... These elves gather, and these elves gather, and these dwarves come and help with this, and then they're all ready, and then this man dies. But what would- well, and, and the world will end if they don't succeed, but then they do succeed. It's over. You're like, okay, well, what was that? <laughs> it's Tolkien wanting to get back to naming people. Yeah. That's true, pretty much. Did we want to quickly do the characters for chapter 11, or did we want to discuss chapter 10? before doing chapter 11. Um, I think these ones are a bit more separate, but... Okay. All right, so let's just... I just wanted to check what we were feeling. So let us continue with our discussion. So I honestly don't remember if we've met Luthien before. Not that I remember. I don't think so. Okay. Maybe just like a passing mention, but now she actually gets described. Yeah. She's fabulous. I mean, you don't really see her do anything in this chapter, but... No, but you can tell she because she's described a little bit like Disney Princess Melian as, you know, the white flowers of Nifredil came forth to greet her as stars from the earth. Yes. <laughs> it is sort of kind of, I guess, known that Tolkien based Luthien on his wife. That's a, a pretty good way to get described if you're his wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it says Luthien on, on Edith Tolkien's gravestone. Cool. Grave thing. So yeah, she's super important, obviously. Uh, the dwarves come back. Yay, dwarves. That's true. They make a new appearance. I really mm-hmm. liked them in this chapter. I especially liked how they were all like, look, we'll learn your stuff. We don't, we're not going to teach you our language or culture or anything. We'll, we'll learn yours. It's fine. Yeah. You don't need to get involved in our culture. And I also really love how Tolkien made a point of mentioning that the friendship between dwarves and elves, you know, was never great. But at this time, you know, none of that had happened yet. So they were good friends. I'm like, well, why bring that up then? Yeah, right. <laughs> Just in case you forgot. A lot of this chapter, I felt like we read it and it was like, why did we bring this up? Why was this relevant to anything at all? But then again, I feel that way every time he names something six times. <laughs> That's just his way, I suppose. I don't know, putting things in perspective or something. Uh, I did love that. So, you know, they're friends and as such exchanging stuff. And so um, Kierden gave the King of the Dwarves some um, pearls. Yeah, they paid them in pearls. Yes, they paid them in pearls um, because the dwarves hadn't been to the sea. And... (laughs) <laughs> There's one that's so special that it gets a name, Nymphalos, and oh, the chieftain of the dwarves prized it above a mountain of wealth. And my note for this is, oh my god, men and their shiny rocks. 
<laughs> Again, this entire book is just men and shiny rocks. <laughs> yeah. No, that's very true. Always causing problems. Mm-hmm. So then they build Menegroth, which is an underground kind of castle-y fortress. It, it's also known as the Thousand Caves. Yes, the Thousand Caves. But it, parts of it are made to look a lot like uh, Lorien and Valinor. Mm-hmm. Right? Like they carved the animals that the elves are familiar with and all of the columns holding up the roofs of the caves look like the beaches, beech trees. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought that imagery was really beautiful. And then I couldn't help but imagine it being overrun by goblins because you know that scene in the lord of the rings movie is one of my favorites well it's not yet it doesn't matter that they're not the same caves doesn't matter (laughs) i'm just picturing it in my mind nothing this pretty lasts forever that is also pretty much a a straight line in this chapter is basically nothing pretty lasts forever and things aren't put into song until they're broken and can't aren't there to (laughs) speak for themselves (laughs) Yeah, that that is very true. Um, I, I was Tolkien is kind of incapable of doing not that in this book. Whenever he's like, "We had this great victory. We built this beautiful stronghold, and it was beautiful until the day it fell." Thanks, Tolkien. That's great. Great. Uh, I do find it cool. I was thinking about how different the idea of living underground is when there is no sun yet, and even if there are stars, it's a little bit less like you're living underground and dealing with nonstop uh, SAD and um, but they don't have that because there is no light other than the stars (laughs) and so it seems a little bit less depressing to live underground and they do make it look like outside but it's not and I don't know if we want to really get deep into this but it's possible that elves need less vitamin D than humans or don't need the same things well, dwarves definitely. Well, yeah. But yeah, because the, the elves existed before there was any sun. So yeah, it, their body chemistry is different. It's weird to think of elves living in caves, though, just because of what we know of them in the Lord of the Rings. Right. And these are sort of like the historical ancestors of the ones that we know, right? Yes. Um, But just, yeah, the whole thing with dwarves and elves living together and working together and acquiring cultural similarities it's so weird but cool and then morgoth comes back and ruins everything as usual yep was it morgoth or ungoliant they both kind of made their contributions to you know general world suck it's that scene that we saw before from their point of view when uh when ungoliant bites his hand with them um, with the Silmarils in it and he like yells really loudly and all of his so everybody like they hear that yell in Doriath and then they're like well that's not a good sign let's make some weapons and then eventually there's orcs and things that they have to fight and oh I will also say they did mention uh creatures that walked in wolf shape um those come back later and yeah uh, or I don't even know if the creatures themselves come back. I, I honestly don't remember. But we do later meet the Lord of the Werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, you've met him, but we'll get there. Spoilers, gosh. I don't remember if we ever actually see a werewolf. I just know that they're talked about a lot. 
God, this book literally has every fantasy trope in it. There might be vampires. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't remember now. People are... Weird things happen. Yeah. Oh, so... um, Language. Mm-hmm. While we're talking about dwarves and elves living together, end of the world type stuff, mm-hmm. um, it's an elf who um, devises runes. Yeah. And basically the elves are like, nope, not good enough. And so the dwarves are like, they love them. But um, I think it's it, getting this perspective as we, again, have been back on Valinor for a long time and Feanor making language. But cool elf dude makes runes and dwarves like it. Yeah, I, that is, it's kind of like that that myth um, that the French or that the British national anthem was written about a French king. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because, you know, later on, I bet the dwarves would never admit that their runes were made by an elf. Well, no, oh, never. Given what I know of dwarves, that's not not even a possibility. And then we've already kind of talked about how the the battle was. Sorry, I'm staring at the book. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. So that's okay. Yeah. Lots of battle. Um, Ungoliant has taken over a mountainous area or something or other. Oh, I didn't. I missed that bit. The mountains of terror. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like a fun place, doesn't it? Great vacation spot. Mountains of terror, giant spiders. Pretty much. But Melian was so powerful that she drove Ungoliant away. Like that's why she's. That's why Ungoliant is in the mountains and not eating Melian. That went completely over my head. Apparently, good old Melian. Ah, she and Luthien are the best. Yep. But anyway, world's worst mountain. <laughs> the one ruled by a giant evil spider. The spider mountain. Don't go there. <laughs> Not a good vacation spot. And then orcs are multiplying in the darkness, and then there are battles. I apparently didn't mark it, but I feel like there's a bit where somebody realizes that the orcs are probably the Avari that they left behind, the, the other elves. I feel like I read that. I didn't before. see yes. that. And I'm like, was it all of them? Did any of them survive? Where was that? It was definitely a thing. I mean, the orcs got it on and multiplied. That's described. Oh, there we go. Um, Whence they came, or what they were, the elves knew not then, thinking them perhaps to be Ovari, who had become evil and savage in the wild, in which they guessed all too near, it is said. Okay, so they thought maybe it was just Ovari gone evil on their own. When it was probably a very corrupted by Morgoth into becoming orcs. Yeah. Same effect in the end. Yeah. yeah. One of them is just much more violent. Yeah. I wonder if while Morgoth was gone, if Sauron could have been working on making more orcs. It's not like he had anything else to do. Yeah. Does he have more elves to corrupt or just telling them? <laughs> well, <laughs> here's how procreation works. <laughs> he's he's an orc herder. <laughs> Can you imagine being Morgoth and like coming back from Valinor, this place of beauty, and Sauron is like, "Look, I made you these." <laughs> and it's just an <laughs> army of orcs. <laughs> Poor Morgoth. <laughs> He only ever gets the shit. Happy I mean, birthday! He also gets the Silmarils, but and the and touch of shit. <laughs> Sorry, it's fine. Enjoy yourself. Hey, we're coming down on Morgoth's side here. Like, no, no wonder he's so bitter. 
his surrogate son just was the worst. Now I'm picturing Sauron calling him daddy, and it's really weird. <laughs> oh, no. I was, I, I had that thought a couple of seconds ago, and I was, yeah, when I was going, like, happy birthday, dad, in my head, and I was like, oh, I'm running on a really terrible place here. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on. There's battle. Denethor dies. The girdle is created. Chapter 10 done. <laughs> <laughs> Let us never speak of it again. <laughs> come, come come, for the uh, great battles. Day for uh, Daddy Morgoth. <laughs> and there's this episode's title, probably. <laughs> oh. oh, no. <laughs> Thanks, Rach. It's your fault. I was trying not to say it. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's <laughs> fair. It was me. It's okay. We'll have to come up with something better for the next chapter and <laughs> pretend we're mature. So, chapter 11. Anybody want to go over the characters? Uh, there are some no. dead trees. I will say, did yeah. did anyone else have anything to say about chapter 10? No, I think we about... No. That was you it. summed it up with Daddy Morgoth. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> and we've lost Rachel. We, we broke Rachel. <laughs> but, okay. So, um, what is chapter 11? Oh, chapter 11 is Of the Sun and Moon and the Hiding of Valinor. Mm-hmm. Um, and we only have a few characters listed to be highlighted this time around, even though I feel like there were so many. There were more mentioned, but they don't really do anything. They're just sort of like their names. Yeah, are just a dropped. lot of characters are mentioned and they don't do a lot. Yeah. So, um... Manway is is our head of the Valor, and Mandos is uh, Rachel's favorite character. That's fair. He's pretty awesome. I can't remember if Yavanna was the Yvonne, Valar of she nature. She made the trees. Right. Okay. So she was the Valar of nature, and Varda was the Valar of the stars, yep. and she is Manway's wife. And then we finally get the moon and the sun in this chapter. So the moon has two other names, uh, Isil and Tilian. And the sun also, of course, has two other names, which is Anar and Aryan. Um, pronounce those how you will. Who knows, you know, if we got them right. And finally, um, in this chapter, we have like the coming of men, right? Humans finally exist and they are called the Hildor. Um... And, I don't know, everybody really likes them for a little while. They let them flourish. We get the passage of time. And then, of course, nothing good lasts forever. So, um, who am I handing off to do the recap? I can do the recap. Thanks, Caitlin. So, at the beginning of this chapter, the Valar are having a council where they don't talk out loud, which is apparently one of the reasons Feanor thought they were doing nothing. But that sounds like an excuse to me, so... Whatever. Stupid Valar. They're just rude. Yeah. Eventually, they do decide that they don't actually want to forsake the Noldor or the Avari, the elves that stayed. Um, But they also don't want to risk another war with Morgoth. uh, Because the last time they did that in Middle-earth, it, like, affected the landscape and there was a lot of destruction. And they don't want to hurt the elves that are there. And they also don't know where the humans are going to awaken. But they do know that they're going to be much more mortal than elves. So instead, they create the moon and the sun from the final fruits given by the two trees, one one of each. And 
Morgoth does not like the moon or the sun. And um, then they hide Valinor by rising up the mountains that exist along the edge of it. So before they, I guess they were just kind of low, easily traversable mountains. And now they're basically very high, not easily traversable mountains and then cliffs on the other side. And then they pretty much do the same thing that Melian did with the Menegroth, where they create a mist of confusion around it. So anybody who sails towards Valinor will just end up lost and confused. Also like me if I try to go anywhere. (laughs) The final line of the chapter, which I do like here, is... uh, And of the many messengers that in after days sailed into the west, none came ever to Valinor, save save one only, the mightiest mariner of song. Which is a preview of things to come. Yay. Woo! So just to be clear, Feanor's dad is killed. All of his shit is stolen. The Valor say, we're not going to help you. And then after he leaves, they super shut the gates. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, Feanor slammed the door in um, Morgoth's face. Yeah. Now now they're like, eh. They get it now. Yeah. Bye. But then, like, I guess as some sort of peace offering, they're like, here's a moon. Which did come first. Which, as I was reading that, I knew Emmy was going to be quite upset. Like, it existed for almost... It existed for some time. I swear it said something like six days. I thought it was like eight. Something like that. Um, before the sun finally rose so the moon is piloted i guess for lack of a better word by a a man or a myar named tillian and the sun is piloted by a woman myar named arian who has a super cool description because she was like a fire myar who was not corrupted by melkor so um yeah it's like she was as a naked flame terrible in the fullness of her splendor and like people can't look at her eyes because they're so fiery she sounds pretty awesome yeah and yeah they basically she's like yeah let me just shuffle off this this mortal form we're gonna we don't need to look like you know beings anymore i'm i'm just gonna be a fire in the sky Woo! yeah i just i keep thinking about Again, the poor Sindar over on Middle-earth who, minding their own business, and then, you know, Morgoth's driven over to start attacking them, and the moon shows up in the sky, and that's not too scary, but then this giant freaking sun shows up, and they're, like, cut off entirely on their own, and all of these horrible things just kept being shoved into their lives. Yeah, and I think it's even mentioned in Chapter 10 that or- they still sometimes see Orme riding around. And, like, he can't stop by and be like, just so you all know, some shit's going down. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, we kicked out this guy named Feanor. You see those ships burning over there? That's that asshole. <laughs> <laughs> it does seem kind of shitty of them. Yeah. But the the Sun and the Moon chapter is sort of just like a, a myth chapter, mostly about how the Sun and the Moon are created. Although Mandos has that fabulous line in it. Yes, let's go back to Mandos's fabulous line. Yeah, so at the beginning during the council, Manway is all sad about the loss of Feanor and all the good things he could have 
created for them, which I feel like Manway's just digging his own hole here. Like, like he, he doesn't seem sad about the corruption of Fanor or what have you himself, or even sad about them killing all their elf friends, the, the Teleri. He's just sad because now they're not going to get all the wonderful things Fanor could have made. Yeah, Manway's kind of a cold bastard. Like, that seems like such shit. He just, he doesn't get it. I mean, it's the same guy who, you know, let let Morgoth go free again. Like, maybe he'll be good this time. He could do good things with us. Yeah. yeah. Should definitely be a democracy. So, I'm just trying to find... Well, they talk about Feanor and how all of his deeds that he could have done and blah, 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 blah. And then... Sorry, I'm just trying to give some good reference to this line here. I know, I'm trying to look at it like how oh, okay. to... So Manway was sad about the things that Feanor wasn't going to make. But um, remember, Feanor gave that one of his very good speeches last time. And in that it also mentioned that the Noldar should do deeds to live in song forever. And this is a comfort to Manway because he is excited about these songs... Dear bought, those songs shall be accounted, and yet shall be well bought. For the price could be no other. Thus, even as Uryu spoke to us, shall beauty not before conceived to be brought into Ea, and evil yet be good to have been. And then Mando said, and yet remain evil. To me shall Feanor come soon. I love Mando's a lot. <laughs> he just pops in at the end of conversations <laughs> like, BT dubs. Someone's dead or gonna die soon. Yeah. And I like Manway is all take comfort, friends. There will be good deeds done and songs and blah blah blah. Feanor may not be lost to us forever. Manus is like, no. Nope. Evil is still evil and he'll be dead soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, Mandos was alone for a very long time. Yeah. He didn't have anybody coming to him. He just wants friends. <laughs> Fanor's parents oh no I was gonna say they're all alone but no all the Teleri were there too that their kid killed that must have been super awkward yeah Oof. yeah like welcome our son killed you sorry about that really just everything about the elves and the Valor is awkward family reunion all the time that's yeah, messed up so yeah despite slamming the door in Fanor's face they like we said decided not to completely forsake them sun and the moon happen um, Morgoth super doesn't like the sun and doesn't particularly like the moon either. And he tries to attack the moon. I don't know how this works, but he does try it. And but with shadow spirits. Yeah. He sends shadow spirits up to the moon, but Tillian is stronger than that and fights them off. And Arian, the lady who drives the sun or whatever, in the best line that Tolkien ever wrote, Morgoth feared with a great fear. <laughs> so beautiful I read that like three times and was like really? he feared with a great fear you couldn't have you ran out of words <laughs> you finally ran out of words there we're not even half done the book I just I really love how they describe the moon in these paragraphs as being like wholly unreliable like you know they they were set on this track in the sky and they had a system and the moon just kind of went off and did its own thing and couldn't keep time and just it didn't it didn't work out so varda had to change her entire plan because it turned out everything was too bright and everybody stayed awake for too long yeah 
I also, when the sun first happens, does it not rise in the west? Is that what it's saying? And then when she makes all those changes, then she has them rise in the east? I thought it went back and forth. I feel like at first it kind of went back and forth. Okay, I guess that makes more sense then. It goes back and forth, and then Almo is like, hey, we in the sea want, want some sun too, and then it goes under. Yeah, each should pass from Valinor into the east and return. The one issuing oh, okay. from the west as the other turned from the east. But the first rising of both of them was in the west, which must have been very strange. I mean, I guess it wouldn't have been strange back then, because you don't know that the sun rises in the east. Also, the world is still flat. I was going to say, also, straight up, I don't think the sun rose from anywhere. They, like, put it in the sky, and it just, like, went in a really large circle back and forth. So. Mm, like the North Pole. Yeah. They were both, I mean, this must have been real bright. Especially after everyone's eyes are used to only darkness. Right? And then the sun burns the moon when he gets all up in her business. And the island of the moon was darkened. I enjoyed that line. I was like, Tillian, personal space. Okay? The moon (laughs) needs to just take a step back and stop being such a creep. So yeah, then the sort of cyclical nature of the sun... And to some degree, the moon, but even after your Varda changes everything, the moon is still a bit... Tillian just can't keep his shit together. Yeah. (laughs) Which is the greatest explanation for the moon cycle. (laughs) Yep. He just wants to be closer to the sun. He just doesn't really see the point of sticking to a schedule. In the paragraph before uh, they talk about Varda commanding the moon, they talk about how um, the sun was drawn down by... Uh, the servants of Olmo, which if you guys don't remember, Olmo was the Valar who took to the sea and became like a giant tidal wave of, you know, fear and emotions. Yeah, awesomeness. He's just kind of hangs out in the water and maybe saves you, maybe doesn't. But um, I thought it was interesting that the sun is actually the first one drawn to water when, you know, because of science, we always assume that to be the moon. Yeah, I do. I, I think I like noting that even though the sun and the moon were both made from basically sprigs of the uh, two trees. It's noted that, again, the uh, the light of the two trees is, is still gone. Those don't recreate it at all. It's only the Silmarils, just in case you forgot <laughs> how uh, special they were. It's important to remember how uh, that we have a driving force now in the plot of the book. Shiny rocks and Feanor being dumb. I don't know that Feanor is long. Well, as Mando says, yeah, (laughs) this Middle Earth. (laughs) But the the fact of the Silmarils is just in general that Feanor was dumb and wouldn't share anything with anyone. And yeah, so I was just flipping ahead a bit to see what we should do for next week because I do think we should soon transition into just doing one chapter a week. Uh but chapter 12 is only two pages long so that would be boring but then chapter 13 is hefty so it's gonna we can just we can do a quick we can do them both next week and then well no because then we get back to chapter 14 and chapter 14 is once again two pages long you're right Man, okay, cool. So this Should is we just good. sit here right now and read Of Men? <laughs> <laughs> Live reading for everybody. <laughs> All right, awesome. 
Oh, look, there's a map in the middle of this. Oh, there is. I thought my oh, map was at the end of the book, but now I got one on page 120, right in the middle. Oh, good to know. All right, so we're doing of men and um, of the return of the, of the Noldor. Return of the Noldor, next time. yes. Woo! Humans come into the world. Oh, my God. We'll have a lot of stuff to talk about. More people get to die. Yeah, I'm pretty that sure, happens. like, every chapter with plot now, people are going to die. Ooh. If you haven't seen it, um, we shared a really funny, um, not sort of funny image of um, where someone had flagged all of the deaths in the Silmarillion. It's and intense. Yeah, with a great comment like, well, huh, it's going to be a lot more interesting in our episodes from now on. So, death, it's coming. Mandos will have more friends. It'll make things less awkward when it's not just the Noldor and the Teleri. Or I guess, I guess some some Sindar and stuff died in this chapter, so they've gone to join them. And they can all compare notes about living in Valinor versus living in Middle-earth. Talk about their cool cave home. I mean, like, sure, some of them got slaughtered by orcs, but some got betrayed by their good friends. So... Who's the real loser? Uh, yeah, so that is next week's homework. Chapters 12 and 13. 13 will be good. We'll get some spoilers in chapter 12. Be good, some good stuff. Yay! Is it considered spoilers if it's, like, in the book? But, like, they go heavy on the family trees there. Eh, whatever. We'll talk about that next week. It'll be fun. Yep, yep, yep. Um, just to remind everyone, since I mentioned our Twitter... You can, in fact, find that at um, Twitter is at to read Tolkien. Um, we also have an email, which is something which is it is you you want to read Tolkien at gmail.com. The email. There we go. Find us on Twitter. We all keep a really good eye on that one. <laughs> yeah. And the website is you want to read Tolkien.com where you can find all of our other uh, show notes and maps and pictures and stuff that we try to keep a good uh, organization on who everyone is and what they're doing and where they're going and why this is happening. We try. Try being the operative word there. Yes. Yell at us if we don't. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And I think that's it. Uh, I've been Caitlin. I've been Rachel. And I'm Emmy. Thanks for joining us. Have a good week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>